Well, this morning we, uh, we celebrate uh, the beginning of, of Advent. And Advent, it literally means, the word literally means coming. Right, and the Advent season is a is a period of time in the Christian calendar that includes the the four Sundays leading up to uh, Christmas Day. Um, it's a time of of preparation of our hearts, um, a time of of building anticipation as we um, anticipate the arrival of the Christ. Now, unfortunately, our marketing world has kind of really taken away a lot of that. They've really used a lot of that building of anticipation, but we as Christians know that the real anticipation comes not in the gift giving, but in the gift himself, right? And so Advent has been a tool in the, uh, in the hands of the church for centuries that we focus our attention on the Christ coming for us. Traditionally, we, we focus on four themes of Advent. You see them on the, on the walls here. Hope, peace, love, and joy. And we look at the gift of, of Christ, Christmas, through the lens of each of those characteristics each week. This week, we're going to focus our attention on the word hope. And I'd like to liken the word hope to an anchor because that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews likens hope too. We read about that in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. It says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. I like that. We have this hope as an anchor. The purpose of an anchor is to ensure that a vessel doesn't drift into places that it's not intended to go. I had a boat many years ago, and oftentimes trying to fish on that, over the Merchant's Inlet, thinking that my boat, my boat was anchored, only to realize as I was getting sucked into the inlet that I was not anchored in, right? How many have had that glorious experience? The purpose of an anchor is to keep you from drifting in places you're not supposed to go. It, it provides stability and security. It keeps a vessel fixed or determined to, to stay put in the location that the captain wants it to be. Obviously, that's what it does for a boat or any kind of a vessel on the water, but as we focus our attention on Advent, I want to consider this through the lens of Israel. Israel, too, had a hope, and their hope was for a Savior, one who would come, one who would be the fulfillment of all this biblical prophecy from, from Genesis to Revelation. We see the hand of the Old Testament pointing to this one who is going to come. This is the one that they hoped for. This is the one that they longed for, the one that, that they waited for, this, this promised Messiah. That served as an anchor for them in the midst of what was very difficult times in their history. Throughout its history, Israel faced various challenges, including foreign invasions of captivity and persecution, slavery. Things have not changed much for Israel over the centuries. Sadly, they have, as a whole, not embraced their Savior in the first advent. But the day is coming 
when Christ comes again, that Israel will see that Christ is the Messiah. There is tremendous hope for Israel. But for them who waited and longed for the Messiah in the midst of such difficult times, it allowed them to look past what they were seeing and to look forward to what was coming. That's what hope does, right? Hope causes us to raise our eyes beyond what we're seeing and to look to what is coming. And that's what Israel did throughout their, their time, throughout their, their, their difficult times and their, their times of their seasons of captivity and, and change and trial and tribulation. They looked forward not to what they were experiencing, but to a promised Messiah that would come. It keeps the big picture in sight. It's not in denial over what's going on around us. But the hope in which we have, it eclipses all of that which we are currently experiencing. That's what hope does. It keeps the big picture in sight. It reaches out and holds on to a promise. I like the way that the New King James Version translates Hebrews chapter 1. It says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, faith is the substance, the ingredients. It's, it's what makes up those things. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, all of, which that we, in, in all of that which we hope in is what we put our faith in. All of which we hope for is what we put our faith in. Therefore, it is critically important that our hope is in the right thing. And that our hope is in Christ, the only one who will not fail, the only one who will meet our greatest needs. He is the only one worth putting all of our faith in. For Israel, their, their hope for a, fa a Savior, it traced back all throughout the Old Testament. From the moment of the fall in Genesis to the closing prophet at the end of the Old Testament Malachi. We see the finger of God pointing to a Messiah, a solution, one who would come and reverse the curse, reverse that which was lost in the garden. They would hear the words of, of the prophet Isaiah, as Pastor Time read this morning, written 750 years prior to the arrival of Christ. He writes this, for to us, a child is born. Not to them, not to you, but to us. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. When a name was ascribed to God, it wasn't so much his name, but that would be the experience of those who would come under his care. Those who would come under the nurturing care of Father would recognize that he is wonderful counselor, that he is mighty God, that he is everlasting Father, that he is Prince of Peace. And Isaiah prophesies about this one who would come in this first Advent. But you see, Advent also serves as a second with a second purpose. 
It certainly causes us to remember back at that first advent, but it also causes us to redirect our attention on that second advent that is coming, that moment where Christ will come again. And Isaiah's prophecy addresses that as well. Verse 7, it says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. I love that. I'm sure in the ears of the Israelites to hear that there would be a season of peace that would have no end. How many know that that has not been their reality? But that day will come following the second advent, the second coming of Christ. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, he will establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah prophesies about one from the house of David who would rule and reign over the land. No longer would they be victims' imprisonment, but they would rule with this Messiah. This was their hope. It served as an anchor in hard times and in difficult times of slavery and persecution. This anchor served as their hope. They were able to look past what they were seeing and look forward to who is coming. One of those Jews who looked forward to that day was a man by the name of Simeon. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter two. As we're introduced to a man by the name of Simeon, a man who was, who was full of hope for the consolation of Israel. Luke chapter two and Verse 25. It says, There was a man by the name, by, by, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was, a right, was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in this spirit into the temple. And when the, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. What an incredible scene that must have been. This one who waited and longed, who was promised. We see a couple things about Simeon that are, are, are very interesting for us to consider. Number one, we see that he was a righteous and devout man. Additionally, we see that he had been waiting for something. He had been waiting for the consolation of Israel, the fulfillment of the promises. And so, obviously, in addition to being a righteous and a devout man, he was a man of the word. He knew all the scripture had to say about this one who was coming. And so he had been waiting for the, the consolation of Israel. Interestingly, we also see that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now we need to remember this is taking place still under the old covenant, right? Where the Holy Spirit did not indwell people, but instead the Holy Spirit would rest upon people. 
In the New Testament, we also see men like John the Baptist was another one where the Holy Spirit came upon him but was not within them. That was all under the old covenant. But under the new covenant, we recognize that now under this new covenant, the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon us, but the Holy Spirit is within us. And so we see that, that, that Simeon, like John the Baptist, was a man that the Holy Spirit had come upon. And he was told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the fulfillment of Israel's promised Messiah. So many times when we watch different, you've watched a movie of that scene where, you know, is that the dedication of Jesus where Simeon would come and we have this very old man kind of finally getting to the end of his life and he's finally seeing Jesus and, 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 and he says, finally, my eyes have seen his salvation. That looks really wonderful, but I just hate to break the news to you. There's nothing that suggests he's old, by the way. We don't know how old he is. He might have been 33 years old for all I know. I have, I have no idea. But we do know this, that he'd been promised that he will not die until he sees the fulfillment of this promise. And upon recognizing the Messiah, he declares, I can die now, for my eyes have seen your salvation. I have seen your provision. I have seen your plan. I can depart in peace. This was a man who was the epitome of hope. His whole life revolved around the promise of seeing the, the consolation, the fulfillment of God's promise to Israel. And just as Simeon's long-awaited hope was realized, so too was the hope of Israel. They just didn't know it yet. So too is the hope of the world. So too many do not realize it to this day. But we do. Right? We recognize the hope has come. And his name is Jesus, right? We recognize that God has fulfilled our promise. And we see that Christ has come for, in, in, in fulfillment of that, prophet, that, that prophecy, of that promise. What a great lesson we can learn from Simeon. I'm sure Simeon had a, a lot of other things going on in his life. I'm sure he just wasn't going from house to house looking for the Messiah. But we see, but here's the thing. We know everything we need to know about Simeon. We, need, we know everything we need to know about this devout, devout, righteous man. He was a man who was looking for the coming of Jesus. Are we? Are we looking for his coming? He was looking for Christ in the first advent. Are we looking for Christ in the second? Just as Simeon and the people of God longed for the first advent, the first coming of Jesus, we too have been given a tremendous promise as well in his second coming. Obviously, in hindsight, it would be quite easy for us now to, to demonstrate the fulfillment of that promise, the coming of Christ, that, that first advent. We're all very familiar with the first advent, the coming of Christ. It's why we celebrate Christmas. It's a gathering celebration of the, of the promise of Christ's coming. Do you know, though, there is more evidence that the life of Christ, that the coming of that first advent has taken, pl taken place? There's more evidence of Christ's existence, of Christ's life, than that of Alexander the Great? 
of Julius Caesar. We have more evidence that, that suggests that Jesus came in that first advent than we have that Aristotle ever lived or Plato ever lived. There's more evidence. In other words, it doesn't take much faith to embrace the fact that Jesus came. You see, that hope to them of Christ's first advent, of Christ's first arrival, that hope to them is a matter of historical fact to us. However, would you be surprised to learn that the second coming of Jesus is far more emphasized in the Old and New Testaments than the first advent of Jesus that we currently celebrate? The scripture has far more to say about the second advent, about the second coming, than it does the first. In fact, References to the second coming outnumber references to the first coming by a factor of one to eight to one. In other words, for every one time the first coming is mentioned, the scripture talks about the second coming eight more times. So reading David Jeremiah's book, The Great Disappearance, and he points this out. He says, scholars have identified 1,845 biblical references to the second coming of Christ. There's countless scriptures that point to the second coming of Christ. Christ's return is emphasized in 17 of the 39 books of the Old Testament and in 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament. How many know the message of the second coming is clearly laid out in the scriptures? That means that seven out of every 10 chapters in the New Testament mention the second coming of Christ. And one out of every 39 verses in all the New Testament make reference to the second coming of Christ. As you recall, as we were going through First and Second Thessalonians, each of those books, every one of those chapters make reference to the second coming of Christ. In fact, second only to salvation the second coming of Jesus Christ is the most dominant subject in all of the New Testament. Think about that. What a priority we ought to place in our understanding and in our lifestyle to reflect our awareness of Christ's coming. Dr. Tim LaHaye says this, if Jesus does not return physically and literally to this earth to set up his kingdom, Christianity will turn out to be the greatest hoax in history. His return is so intimately tied to the most central doctrines of the Bible and of the, of the church that the validity of Christianity totally depends upon it. So much is spoken about the second coming of Christ in the scriptures. So much has been said. And for those of us who, as Christians, who, who walk in the light... Right, who've had the eyes of our understanding opened to see and embrace truth, those of us who belong to the day, it ought to influence the way we live out our lives in light of this truth that is so emphasized in the scripture. First Thessalonians chapter five and verse eight says this, but since we belong to the day, right, that's, that's us, right? In other words, it's referring to those who walk in the light, right? Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. As for a helmet, the, the hope 
of our salvation. Well, what's the helmet for? The helmet's obviously supposed to cover our mind, right? So it's our, that's where our thinking is supposed to take place. That doesn't always happen, but that's the idea. That's, that's where it's supposed to take place, right? Our mind is where, we are, where our thoughts come from and our, our actions are, are put in motion. It's where we, we think and we plan. And what Paul is saying here is put your helmet on. Make sure you're being influenced by the hope of your salvation. Don't allow anything else into your mind that's going to undermine the reality of the hope of our salvation. And it's not confined to just your salvation here on this earth, but the total consummation of all of God's promises, including his return and gathering of us to himself. It is our, our complete salvation our justification, our sanctification, and our glorification and the full consummation of all things that Christ has put in motion. As I mentioned earlier regarding Israel, they looked past what they were seeing and looked forward to what was coming. And if they did that, how much more should we who have the first advent in the rear view mirror as proof that God fulfills his promise. How much more should we as children of the day, this advent of hope, hold on to the hope of what lies ahead? How much more having the first advent in the rearview mirror as documented proof that God fulfilled what he's going to do, how much more should that influence our confidence and our awareness of knowing if he fulfilled it then, he'll fulfill it again. And it ought to, it ought to impact the way we live our lives. You know, Jesus referred to his return over 21 times in the Gospels. One of those instances in which he does it, we read about it in John chapter 14. Look with me in John chapter 14 in verse 1. Jesus is saying to his disciples, and again, it's right before Jesus is, is soon to be arrested and crucified and died, right? It's at that moment where he's been telling them for, for, for a period of time that he's going to be leaving them. And he says this to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And you know what Thomas did? Thomas said, Lord, we don't know the way. We don't know where you're going and we don't know the way. You just want to make sure. And Jesus, and Jesus said to him, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Right? And so we, Jesus, we see Jesus laying out very clearly for them that the goal was to take us to himself. Now, when we talk about the second coming, there are two aspects of that second coming. Just like there are two aspects of Christ's first coming, the first advent. The first aspect in the first coming was the incarnation. We recognize that Christ was born, right? That he was born of a virgin, the, the incarnation, God becoming man. We recognize that is a very significant part of the first advent. 
However, equally important to that significant part of the first advent is this other aspect that 33 years later was his vicarious death, burial, and resurrection. And so we recognize that over the course of those 33 years, there is two aspects to the first advent. Likewise, there is two aspects to the second advent. As we look forward to the, the second coming, there are, there are two aspects as well. The first one has to be, is referring to the, the rapture of the church. This is the next event that is to take place on God's calendar. This is, the, this is the thing that we're waiting for, that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at any moment, Christ could come and take his church to himself. And then seven years later, following the tribulation, Christ will return with his church, making up the fulfillment of, the, of, the Christ, of Christ's second advent. Jesus is referring, in chapter, John chapter 14, Jesus is referring to the rapture of the church here, where he says in this, in this passage, he says, I will come and I will take you to myself. He's referring to the first part of the second advent, the, the taking of the church to himself. This is a very different picture. We get a very different picture of Christ coming with the church that we read about in Revelation chapter 19. And so we see two aspects. We see in the, the rapture is the first aspect, Christ coming for his church. The second aspect is the second coming where Christ is coming with his church. And he'll set up his millennial kingdom for a thousand years. But as we look back to the first advent, the coming of the Savior, may it encourage us and cause us to look ahead with great assurance, knowing that, that he who came verifiably, easy to prove, he who came will indeed come again. And that ought to encourage our hearts. This hope that we have not only benefits us in the next life, but greatly influences and encourages our life here as well. We're not supposed to just kind of be walking around doing nothing, waiting for that moment, but we are to occupy. We are to engage in this gift of life that, call, that, that, that God calls us to. This hope that we have is not just for our eternal life, but it is for our, our, our life here right now. That is a hope that the world apart from Christ, does not have. There is no anchor for the world. In a world that has no anchor and simply drifts from disappointment to disappointment in its search for significance. You see, you can't anchor your hope on a politician. You can't anchor your hope on an election. You can't anchor your hope on a relationship, a job, a bank account, a 401k, an IRA, your stock market, or whatever nest egg you put your, your eggs in. They all drift across the currents of time and disappointment. History proves that time and time again. Hey, it might help us here, but it's certainly not going to help us over there. We have this hope as an anchor of our souls. This defines us, it influences us, and is ours because our anchor, as the writer of Hebrews points out, is sure and steadfast because it's anchored to the person of Jesus Christ. 
We're not anchored to something that's going to shift like the sand, but it is anchored to a person, Jesus Christ. And Christmas is a, is a reminder that hope has come. Christmas is a reminder that, that peace has come, that love has come, that, that joy has come, and has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And while we bask in that, may we respond like Simeon, living a devout and righteous life before God, constantly looking past what we currently see and looking forward to who is coming to take him, take us to himself. Hope has a name, church. His name is Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? All the sense. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you that our hope is not a blind hope. It is not a wish, but it is the very anchor of our soul that is attached to you, our immovable God that loves us and has a plan and purpose for our lives. Lord, this Christmas, may we be reminded of the gift of Christ that you've given to us, our only means of hope. We give you thanks. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.